Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for worship on this Sunday. I'm Harold, one of the pastors at Christ Central of Southern California. I get to bring to you God's word. We're continuing in a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. If you would, follow along or turn in your Bibles. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 39. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 32. I'll read it for us. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. Verse 38 Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. What are you doing over here? This captures the overwhelming popularity of Jesus as soon as people learned of his miraculous healing powers. The author wants to make this unmistakably clear. Chapter 1, verse 33, we just read the whole city, the whole city, maybe an exaggeration a figure of speech, trying to convey how many people showed up at the door. Sounds like there was one door. You may have heard about the traffic uh, at Dodger Stadium because of COVID vaccines that are being offered there. And I've discussed this with sports fans, how Dodger Stadium, the, the traffic is notorious because the way it's designed, there's a limited number of entrances and exits. Uh, if you compare Dodger Stadium traffic versus the Angel Stadium, of course, during the season, not only Dodger Stadium has limited entrances and exits, uh, it's obviously also the superior quality of play. Uh, the Dodgers are the defending world champions of Major League Baseball. But I want you to think about Jesus Christ in his day, in his heyday. How many people rushed him? How many people wanted FaceTime? How many people wanted an appointment because this man could simply speak or touch you and demons would shudder. The diseases would be lifted. People would be healed, healed on the spot. Chapter two, verse two, it reads, according to Mark, there was no more room. Chapter two, verse 13, quote, all the crowd was coming to him. Then I want you to look at chapter three, verses seven through nine. I'll read this for us. Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. Please get me a boat. Lest the people crush me. 
Chapter 3, verse 20 reads, He, Jesus, went home, and the great crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. All right. So in the midst of, arguably, greatest of all time fame, to this day, in the midst of that kind of unprecedented, intoxicating fame, and this is without TikTok, all word of mouth in Jesus' day. Here we see in our passage, Jesus do something, and I think for many people who are like me, that might be more miraculous than anything else he ever did until his resurrection from death. <laughs> While everybody was looking for Jesus, we see Jesus goes off looking for someone else. The noisier, the louder, the more crowded it got, Jesus Christ went to a quiet and desolate place. The more wildly popular he became, more in demand, highest demand, the more Jesus withdrew and prayed. The more Jesus withdrew and prayed. So you see, this was his supreme priority. We're going to look at that first. His supreme priority. Look at verse 35 once again. Rising very early in the morning. Very early in the morning. And of course you can understand the disciples by the time they woke up, which wasn't very early in the morning, and realized that Jesus had gone missing. They did a seek and find type of game. They had to go searching. And by the time they found him, it must have taken at least an hour or two. It must have taken at least a couple hours, meaning Jesus spent hours in prayer. Now, what was he doing for hours in prayer? Who here can pray for one hour? Don't answer that aloud with your family or friends. You don't have to raise your hand. I think it would be quite embarrassing for many people. Who here can pray for one straight hour, 60 minutes? But I don't bring that up. To have you worry too much about how long you pray or when or where you pray. But please do concern yourself. Let's pay much more attention to what was Jesus doing for hours in prayer. And I would suggest to you, if you look closely at his life and into the scriptures, for hours, hours, Jesus had somebody to love. That's what he was doing in prayer. Did you do the little self-test I mentioned a couple weeks ago? I asked for you. It's safe. It's easy. You can do it all by yourself. Just go pray. Try and pray. Did you do it? If you haven't done it, I ask you to do this. Because it might be one of the most accurate reflections of spiritual reality in your life. Does it feel formal? Is it forced? Are you completely lost? Or is it somewhat familiar? Is it conversational? Is it just ritualistic or is there any reality to it? A relationship there. You know, in other words, I ask you to do that self-test because your private, solo, quiet prayer life perhaps best distinguishes whether you and I are just churched, cultured, coerced, or a Christian. Because for a Christian person like Jesus... 
There is love there in prayer. Is there somebody to love? There is somebody to love. Jesus, after all, introduced prayer as approaching God as our Father in heaven. Ours are far from perfect, our earthly fathers, but I assure you, the Father Jesus Christ is not. Back in chapter 1, we saw the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus at his baptism, and then God blaring from the heavens, bragging, if you will, of his infinite love for his own beloved Son. I think what Jesus is doing in all those hours of prayer and repeated times of prayer is he just keeps going back to that. He just keeps going back to that. You know what he's going back to? It's like a bath. He's just soaking in how beloved he really is by his father who is in heaven. It's as if Jesus wanted sunburn as so and a sunburn all the time. He wanted his sonship status to burn white hot, to be at fervent full levels so that it might strengthen and empower and radiate from him. Galatians chapter four, verse six, that if in anyone, anyone believes and follows Jesus Christ as a son of God, savior of sinners, God sends the spirit of his own son into our hearts, Connecting you, ushering you, welcoming you, embracing you, and producing a cry. A cry in every Christian heart. Abba, Father. God, you are no longer just distant. You are no longer uh, a mystery. But you are personally my dad. Uh, even I, even I, I mean, maybe millions of voices. Even I as an inept, failing, weak, forgetful father... Among millions of voices that could cry out my name, if I heard my daughter's voice cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father, I assure you, I will turn with full attention every time. So let me put it this way. Prayer was the supreme priority of Jesus. Why is it not the supreme priority for you and for me? I'll put it this way. It, prayer is always going to be hard. It's going to remain so difficult if you don't love it. If there's nobody to love. So how can you and I grow in prayer and grow in loving somebody in prayer? Again, back to Jesus. He taught us our Father in heaven. This is the entry code into the greatest relationship in all the world. Our Father in heaven. This is the entry for Christian people. Only Christians pray this way. And only Christians have a definitive, focused, personal love from God and for God as their own Father. Oh, but Jesus didn't stop here, did he? He goes on and taught us how to pray. After you say and approach, orient yourself to who you are approaching and who is worthy of all of our love. He goes on to say, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be your name. This is praising. This means none other than adoring. This means you spend time up front or maybe in the bulk of all of your prayers of going down item by item by item 
of how fatherly, how loving, how providing, how protecting, how blessing, how good, how overly good God indeed has been to you. Spend time in praise. I know many of us, many of us feel spiritually dry, stretched. You almost feel like you're dying these days. Plenty of reasons for that. I feel that too, my friend. I feel it too with you. Because one reason may be we spend so little time singing and praising God together. And this is also, quite frankly, made this act, this service to you of preaching much harder than before. But if you think about a birthday, which we will conduct over Zoom now, and you go around, everyone goes around and just shares one thing that you value or appreciate about the person you're celebrating. What do you think happens? Have you been to a party like that? It's like the whole atmosphere changes. And everyone's heart, of course, including the recipients, it's moved. Hearts melt. Hearts start to pump with a newfound joy and energy because it's filled with praise. It's filled with praise. And what do you think would happen when you come in your times of prayer and if you fumble with it, struggle with it, you always feel like you got to say a lot. No, no, no. That's not how Jesus taught us to pray. Notice, you come and appreciate and adore God who is your Father in heaven and just go down the list of how many things he's done for you. And if and when you do this, I assure you, it might change your whole prayer life. And if you look at the prayer life of Apostle Paul throughout all of the entirety of the New Testament, notice how much praise, praise giving dominates his prayer life. Spend time, spend time here, slow down here, specify here, savor like a bath or getting a sunburn of who and what your father in heaven has done and continues to do. Now, this may help us just for starters as to why Jesus had prayer, his supreme priority, his supreme priority. A second feature, as his supreme priority, Jesus prayed on a regular can't miss basis. <coughs> Excuse me. It was rhythmic. I'll call it, it was rhythmic. Now we live, of course, as sociologists and psychologists, and scholars will tell us, in the most, the most hyper, noisy, connected, stimulated, competitive, never-ending, consuming age. You can always see more, connect more, watch more, do more, work more, play more. Always. And then some of you right now, you have to continue to work more. This season has pushed you beyond all limits. There is such a thing as, as compassion fatigue that's epidemic and real right now in our frontline workers, in the service industry, in parents, in police officers, in pastors. You have to do this right now. And I feel for you, but I call all of us who are listening in, give them your praise and cover them with prayers. But I want you to notice and think about Jesus. Jesus Christ here who kept prayer as his 
vital supreme priority. And it was rhythmic in his life. Jesus was literally changing the whole course of history. He literally came to work out the salvation of billions of people eternally. And yet nothing ever got in the way of his prayer life. Nothing distracted him from his prayer life. My friends, do you know what Jesus was doing for hours in prayer? No, let me put it differently. Do you know how many other things he could have done instead of prayer? And yet Jesus never, never allowed his prayer life to be reduced, minimized, replaced, or forgotten. And if it be that the very Son of God prayed rhythmically, regularly, how much more do you think you and I need to pray with a rhythm? Dallas Willard, former philosopher, professor at, the, uh, at USC, wrote one book entitled, Understanding How God Changes Lives. Here's one great insight, quote, our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. Absolutely right. It is strategy bound to fail. Because Dallas Willard goes on to speak of Jesus' promise in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, where he says, take my yoke, take my yoke, my mastery, a controlling device upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's Dallas Willard's translation of that verse. If you really want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you really want to look like, replicate, become a little more like Jesus, you and I have to repeat and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, his rhythms, his rhythms. So can I ask you, before we get to the final part, are there rhythms? Do you have can't miss non-negotiable set in stone? Daily, weekly, or maybe even monthly rhythms. Could a court of law convict you for following Jesus? Not by just what you say, but by looking at your lifestyle. Rhythms. And of course, what are most people going to say right at this point? You feel it already. Oh, I just wish I had more time. Oh, if only I just had more time. I could not disagree with you more at this point. Let me put it this way. You and I always make time for priorities. 3.30 p.m. Pacific time today is living proof that people got some time. Your Netflix browsing history tells us you have time. <laughs> your shopping activity, your internet activity, your social media activity, your exercise programs, right? There are some non-negotiables in your life, and those are rhythmic. How much more must we learn and adopt the lifestyle of Jesus Christ 
in his supreme priority. Therefore, it was rhythmic. You know, during my five-month-long five sabbatical, which I'm utterly grateful for, I feel recharged and revived in ways that could never be produced. I am convinced of that without an extended break. So thank you, God. And then, of course, January COVID hit my family, but we're getting better slowly. But surely, thank you for all your prayers. But during my sabbatical, I read a book by John Mark Comer entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And there I read, and it resonated down to my soul. Harold, for every weekly Sabbath you did not keep, those, those Sabbaths came, and the, uh, those Sabbaths will come and find you. And in other words, for every weekly Sabbath I broke, they do come and break you. Oh, my friends, amidst the fame, amidst the sheer and legitimate demands and needs and messianic expectations, Jesus Christ never let go of his supreme priority in prayer because there was always someone to love. There was Always somebody who loved him more. Somebody who loved him more than all the people in the world. And Jesus had to keep going back to that, keep going back to that, keep going back to that. It was rhythmic. Let me just close with this. Do you have any idea or experience with how revolutionary this is? I said at the outset, for many people like you and I, this might be more miraculous Oh, not just shrieking, shuddering demons who would flee at his voice. This might be more miraculous. Of course, next to coming back from death. Do you know how revolutionary prayer can be? <laughs> uh, Ethan Cross, a psychologist and neuroscientist at the University of Michigan, came out with a book this year, 2021 entitled Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It. And according to one study, our chatter, which is our self-talk, our inner voice, runs at a rate of about 4,000 words per minute. By way of comparison, the State of the Union address by the president, which runs over an hour, is about 6,000 words in total. 6,000 words in total. So what we experience or tell ourselves inside can easily blot out everything else, if you let it even when it's misleading or self-sabotaging. Now, here's where psychology, I believe, crosses direct paths with pastoring, pastorally. Because I've told you on multiple occasions, there is no more influential, no more important preacher or voice in the world than your own than what you chatter or tell yourself on a daily, minute-by-minute basis. So much of Cross's book goes on to give us a toolbox of techniques to dial down or calm down that chatter. And there was one outstanding tool that struck me. He advises when anxiety is at its peak, when you feel trapped in an endless loop, of self-talk that is negative, worry-inducing. Do you know what he suggests you must do? You must go search for an awe 
awe-inducing experience. Take a good longer look at a magnificent work of art, for example. At night, when it is clear, even here in Los Angeles, just gaze up at the stars, the number, the vast expanse of the stars. In December, for me, I took a hike. And when I got to the top of this little hill, the beautiful scenery, the clouds parting, the sun bursting through, classical music helped me a lot as well. But that experience filled me with heart-throbbing, heart-breaking, heart-replenishing awe. Because you do know what happens when you look at something that gives you awe. It rightfully makes you feel smaller. It rightfully reminds you you are very tiny. And then so are your anxieties and perspectives as well. It actually calms and relieves your anxiety. It's awe. Now, what in the world do you think happens in prayer for the Christian life? In prayer, you get to be known and loved by the one who made the stars. My friend, you're not really praying or doing prayer right until your heart stirs with some awe to dial down the anxiety. Now, here's a second example of how revolutionary prayer can be. You get to need people less to love people more. Depending upon the quality and the experience of your prayer life, you can actually need people less in order to turn around and love people more. See, how much do you really need? Now, I'm talking about... It's good to need people's pleasure and approval. Absolutely. But I'm talking about, is it so neurotic, so crushing, so dominating? It disturbs all your sleep, all your mood, all your work. You can't do anything else. How much do you really need to meet people's expectations? How much do you need people to always be happy with you? How much do you need for people to speak well of you and be so delighted and proud of you? How much do you need that? And if you really need that too much, you actually can't turn around and serve their needs and love them more. Do you know how Jesus handled when people don't meet all your expectations? When people actually returned the worst form of vitriol and slander to him? He went through public and open humiliation and he actually was convicted through a system of unjust trials. The whole system was rigged. The whole system was rigged. It's not just a personal issue. It was a social systemic evil that crushed our Lord and Savior. Do you know how Jesus handled that? How is it that he turned the other cheek? How is it that he ended up dying on a cross saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Why do we find that impossible? Well, it's because we probably don't do what Jesus did. Do you know that in prayer, in prayer, in rhythmic prayer, Jesus got what he needed most. He got what he needed most. So that he could turn around and love people more. The oh, last thing about revolutionary prayer can be. It'll give you deeper replenishing rest. Real rest. Down at the bottom of your soul. 
See, how can you rest from work so that you can work better and work longer? How can you get rest from people so you can turn around and really love and serve people? You and I need a deeper rest from a restlessness, a nagging, all-controlling sense of inadequacy that's not just circumstantial, environmental, psychological, sociological, but it's profoundly spiritual. It's profoundly spiritual. Upon the recommendation of a dear, dear friend, I watched the documentary of Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. And it opens up with a riveting scene. The voice of Tiger Woods' father in his emotional predictions that his son, his son, would one day grow up not only to transcend the game of golf, but become a Buddha-like or Gandhi-like figure in history. I did not know this. And combined then with ridiculous drive and talent and military training, Tiger Woods got close, depending upon who you ask. But if you find in this documentary, fair or unfair at different angles, you will find that he was tormented inside. I mean, literally his physical body fell apart along with his family life. I mean, did you know that you could be the richest person, the most famous person, you could be the most, reach the pinnacle of success, but still be restless? Still feel like it's never enough? Oh, this is what the New Testament author Paul, along with Jesus, diagnosed this condition. Do you know what they diagnose this condition as? This restlessness? They call it as living under the law. It's a very important concept. Because living under the law simply means you are still working to prove your own worth. Living under the law means you are working to attain your own righteousness. Your own pride and reputation. Living under the law means you must meet up to standards. Even God's. Question then. So do you know why your anxieties run so wild and out of control? Do you know why at times relationships are so tiring and they fall apart? Do you know why you constantly feel inadequate, overwork, overperform, overpretend, but it's just never, ever enough? It's because you're always working, never resting. You still work to rest and you rest on your work. And you will never, ever really rest until you rest entirely on the work of Jesus. You see, you can't stop working. How can you ever really lie down and rest when there's so much more to do until you believe in the full and sufficient saving work of Jesus Christ who upon the cross said, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? What is finished? All the work it takes for you to be treated and loved as perfectly righteous Perfectly complete, beloved as a son or daughter of God. And when and only then, when you get to rest entirely on the work of Jesus, you can finally lay down your head and begin to rest. 
This was probably the most prevailing prayer I had to repeat over and over and over and over again during my five-month sabbatical. I'm scared, which I'm sure I will lose the focus and be distracted and stop saying this prayer. But God loves to hear and answer this prayer. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, give me all for anxiety. Help me to need people less so I can love them more. And most of all, give me the rest you promised. Give me that inner rest so that I can work, so that I can love, so that I can follow Jesus more. Listen, everyone is looking for Jesus. Everyone really still is looking for Jesus, whether you know it or not. You're looking for Jesus in a perfect lover, a perfect spouse, or to be the perfect spouse, in your child, or to be the perfect parent, in a cause, in a church, in a government, in a cure, in a vaccine, in a counseling session, some kind of magical fix. And all along the way, you are actually going to be crushing everything along the way with the hopes and expectations that only Jesus Christ himself can fulfill. I want you to look at Jesus Christ. I need and ask of you to go and find Jesus Christ because you're looking for him anyways at an ultimate level. Because until you find him, Everyone, literally everything will not put your heart to rest. But Jesus Christ, who was perfect, one day allowed himself to get crushed by the crowds only to get up and love you all over again. Only to get up from death, take away all your inadequacies, all your sin, all your shame to love you all over again. Are you looking for Jesus? You are never more close to Christianity and the gospel until you feel how restless and unfulfilling everything and everyone is. May this, may this bring you to him at last. He's only a prayer away. He's only a prayer away. And for fellow Christian believers this day, take a bath, go get sunburnt. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit now. Please now drop the supreme priority of Jesus into our lives. Make it rhythmic and help us to rejoice and share the revolutionary blessings that we get to find in you. When we come to you as our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Please, O Lord, teach us, discipline us, call us, bring us to you in prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.